God's going to do something in your heart today. I really do. Uh, how many of you want to grow? How many of you want to see those people saved? How many of you want to see God's power, glory, and anointing flow in this church? How many of you want to see God's power, anointing, and glory flow through you? Then have I got a word today. Now, it's going to be challenging. So go ahead and put those toes up under the pew where I can't step on them, okay? But, but you know, the good thing is we have to be challenged. And, 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 and I want you to hear my heart today. My heart is really not to come after anybody. My heart is, is, is for that wall. My heart's for you. You are my sheep. I am your shepherd. I love you. I want the best for you. But there are other people out there that are lost sheep that need to come into the fold. And I believe that if we follow what God's telling us today, that we can see a mass harvest of souls. Amen? How many of you would like that? All right, all right. So let's, let's, let's dive into this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8, 19 through 20. Eight, yeah, 19 through 20. I don't know how yours is titled, but my little section is titled, The Cost of Following Jesus. Everybody say the cost. I didn't write that title, nor did I write the book, but let's just read it. Verse 19 in Matthew chapter 8. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now look at what he said. Here's somebody coming to Jesus and saying, I want to follow you wherever you go. Good to see you, Ron. Jesus replied, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's one thing to know what he said. It's another thing to know what he meant when he said what he said. Are you with me? Okay. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 6. So here he is saying, I ain't got no place to lay my head. Right? Did I read that right? Still hear pages moving. Mark chapter 6, 1 through 7. Jesus left there and went to his hometown. Wait a minute, Jesus. You, you said you didn't have no place to lay your head. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. I don't get that. Jesus said to them, only in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house. He said he had no place to lay his head. In his own house is a prophet without honor. 
He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Oh, mercy. Let's dig into this. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, help us. Help us to see it for what it is. Help us to grow. Help us to change. Help us to be different than all others. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray and everybody said, Amen. Here's Jesus speaking. Here would be a young follower coming to Jesus. Comes into the presence of God Almighty and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now here's the deal. I, me personally, I don't blame him for saying this. Because if I saw Jesus walking on water, I would have been the first member of the first church of Jesus Christ that walks on water saints. Amen? I mean, sign me up for that guy's church. He just walked on water. I mean, I don't, don't, don't blame him if I saw Jesus stop a funeral, simply touch a casket, and raise somebody from the dead after I got up off the floor from shock, because I would have been shocked to see a dead person come out of a casket. I would have signed up to be the first member of the deacon board. Are you hearing me today? If I saw Jesus touch a woman that had an issue of blood for 20-something years, didn't even touch his hand, but just touched the hem of his garment and the power and the glory and the anointing flowed out of him and healed her, baby, you bet that I would be on the building committee and I would be given money to build that man a church. Are you hearing me today? So I don't blame this young follower that says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus said, Before you even start following me, understand that foxes have dens. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Which, honestly, if you read on, he tells some guy, he says, let the dead go bury the dead. Because in the Jewish culture, they had to stay with their father until their father died and then bury him. And then they were free. So what he was telling these two young people is as he was telling them, there is a personal commitment to follow me. There is a cost to follow me. But what I struggle with is Jesus said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, Jesus. You do have a place to lay your head. Jesus had a place to live. We know where he lived. We know what he did. Jesus even had a job. The Bible says for a period of time, he was a carpenter. But what's interesting to me, church, and don't miss this, is when Mark writes in, about him in the sixth chapter that we just read, it's after things that he had done in the fifth chapter. In the fifth chapter, we see him going through the countryside healing people. We see him casting out demons from the demonic man. We see him stopping a storm in the middle of a sea. We see him doing miracle signs and wonders, healing the sick, raising the dead, taking two fish and five loaves and feeding 5,000 people. That is some amazing stuff. Would you agree? 
It's amazing stuff that he did in the fifth chapter. And then all of a sudden, he went home and there's a contrast between the fifth chapter and the sixth chapter. It's a crazy contrast. It's an amazing contrast. Here he is moving in power and glory and anointing in the fifth chapter. But by the time he decides to move a few miles down the road, taking his disciples back to his home, something crazy started. It's complex to me. It's a crisis to me. It's a predicament to me. It all starts when he comes to a group of people, don't miss this, who are familiar with him. Familiar with him. When people become familiar with each other, it breeds contempt. It breeds disrespect. Because once you get familiar with somebody, then that person can become contemptible to you, distasteful to you. You can begin to disrespect that person or dislike that person in your eyes. So listen to me carefully and you better tune in or you'll miss it all right here. You've got to understand, church, that Christ's ability to perform mighty acts of power became limited when he moved from the masses of people that appreciated him, that were valuing him, that were hungry for him, that desired him. It all of a sudden changed when he went down the street to a small hometown of people that he was familiar to. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus came home, church, and said, I cannot do any miracles here. What? You are God. You are God. How can you tell me what you cannot do? You walked on water. You healed the sick. You raised the dead. And now you're telling me what you cannot do? Yeah. Because what Jesus is saying to them and what Jesus is saying to us is I can never perform beyond people's perspective. And I'm saying things a lot better than you're responding. He's saying, I cannot perform my miracles, signs, and wonders beyond people's perspective. People tell me all the time, well, Pastor, God can move anywhere, anytime, however He wants to. No, He can't. He can move the same in this church as He can the church down the street. Oh, no, He can't. Oh, no, He can't. Yes, he's a God that can do anything. Not according to Scripture. Not according to Scripture when he comes to people whose perspective are so limited that it stifles his power. Are you hearing me today? So here's the deal. Jesus did massive things with people who didn't have a limited understanding of who he was. When people opened up their mind and their perspective and their heart and their faith, oh baby, he moved in power. But when he comes to people 
that have a limited perspective, a limited mind and limited faith, we see in Scripture he can't do nothing. And the moment you and I place God in a box, we lock him up. Are you hearing me this morning? No matter how mighty his potential could be, no matter how mighty his potential can be, we, we church, will never be what we could have been by how we perceive him. Are you hearing me today? When we think, oh, well, this home service has got to be this way, or I just don't believe in all this altar call stuff, and the same old people keep coming up and getting prayed for. Oh, but you know what? You're limiting him. You're li- I don't know why the pastor has to preach the way he preaches. Why can't he just stand behind the little table and talk to him? You're limiting God in your perspective of how you think church ought to run. So I would propose to all of us, maybe, just maybe, we continue to wrestle with the same old problem year after year after year. Maybe, just maybe, we wrestle with the same old sickness year after year after year because we limit our perception of who truly God is. And there's something I believe that Jesus really wants us to see in this text, that I believe if we honestly get it, it could transform your life in this church. Because the Bible says he came back home. And don't miss this. He came back home and he's amongst the people that he grew up with. So what you have to understand is when we read this scripture, what happened between Jesus' life between 12 and 30, which we do not know, All we know is the early life of Jesus up to 12 years old. All of a sudden it drops off the pages. It picks back up at age 30. So here's a group of people. Don't miss this. That have been with Jesus for 18 years. 18 years is a mighty long time. 18 years is a long time for him to become ordinary. 18 years is a mighty long time for him to become common. 18 years is a mighty long time to become familiar. And because he became common, ordinary, and familiar, it stopped them from being healed. And I'm telling you, as a believer that's been with him for a long time, you're in danger of him becoming ordinary, common, and familiar to you. Are you hearing me? Now, understand something. It didn't stop him. Hey, don't go out of this place. Pastor said that God can't do anything. Nope, it didn't stop him. They stopped him. Because later he would reject them. He would walk down to another city and still be who he was, still flowing in power and anointing and glory. But their perception, because he was common, ordinary, and familiar, limited them from benefiting from who he was because they defined him in such a limited way, he couldn't help them. Look at what he said. Look at what they said in the scriptures. This is what's amazing. Don't miss this. What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? 
Look at it. They didn't say he wasn't wise. They're saying he's wise beyond belief. They didn't say his miracles weren't real. They were saying, wow, he's doing miracle signs and wonders. And in such, in the face of such compelling evidence, he was still ordinary, familiar, and common to them. Do you see that? The Bible goes on to say, which I, I'm like, Whoa. they took offense at him. Think that through with me, church. Offended by his healing? Here is the healer, Jesus Christ. And they took offense that this man had the power and the glory and the anointing to heal people? Here is the wisdom giver that the book of James says, if we lack wisdom, ask and God will give us wisdom. They're offended by it. It's amazing to me. How could you be offended? He's helping you. How could you be offended? He wants to heal you. So I've come by today to say, if they would have accepted him, do not miss this. Remember he said, foxes have dens, birds have. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If they would have accepted him, he would have nested with them. Are you hearing me today? If they would have accepted him, he would have nested with them. But because of their limited perspective of him, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Can I go a little bit deeper with this? When you stifle Jesus by your perception of whatever you think Jesus should do or church should be, I can't believe the passage, I can't believe that prayer, whatever you've been taught, just take a little eraser and erase it and erase it because it's hurting you, really. When you stifle Jesus by your perception, it never allows you to maximize the gift that he can be to you. Are you hearing me this morning? So I know that the Holy Spirit comes by every Sunday. But when our ability to receive him is too small for the capacity of the gift that he is to us, he will pass right by us. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Some of you have come here because you're looking for more. And you know what that tells me? He was just passing by the church that you were in. Not that it's a bad church. But when we teach theology and we teach doctrine that, oh, all those gifts are back yonder. He ain't moving like he moved back then. Oh, we don't believe in that. Open up that altar and you come and lay hands on the sick. Guess what? You just limited the gift that he can be to you. But when we open ourselves up to the truth of the Word of God, that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we open up our faith saying He can heal, He can move, He can set free, then God can move in power. So two things shock me. First in this text, we see things He could not do. 
we see things he could not perform. On a level that he was performing in the fifth chapter. Because we see him stifled by the people's perception in the sixth chapter. I just taught you that. Secondly, what gets me is the Bible says he's amazed at their lack of faith. Somebody say amazed. There are a few times in Scripture that Jesus was amazed. And every time that Jesus was amazed in Scripture, it was at the faith of people. He was amazed at the Gentile Roman centurion where he told everybody, I've never found such great faith in all of Israel. He is amazed by great faith. So every time we see Jesus amazed, it's because people are moving in faith. But here again, he comes at home where he's too common, he's too ordinary, and he's too familiar. Now he's amazed at the lack of faith. Because their perspective was so little, it stifled their faith. Because their heart was so hard, this is what you should do. Their, their faith was small. And here's the God, an omniscient God, all-knowing God, knows everything, sees everything. And he says, you shocked me. I am shocked by this. What is he shocked at? He is shocked that you could see me after you told me of my great wisdom and miracle signs and wonders. I am shocked that you could see me as ordinary. I am shocked that you make me as familiar and common as one of you. I'm shocked at your lack of faith. Now the question is, is truly... How is this applicable for us? This would be a great time to put your feet up under the pew. Because God is shocked today at how Christians could come to church every single Sunday and yet they've not changed. Because that's what he was saying here. He is saying, for all that I expose you to, for all that I sent you, for all of the opportunities that I gave you, you're telling me I'm wise. You're telling me the miracles are real. For all the word that I spoke over you, for all the miracles that I performed amongst you, God was shocked that their perspective had not changed about Him, and as a result, it showed Him their lack of faith in Him. Jesus was basically saying, how could you not grow? I think the Holy Spirit would tell the American church, how is it that you do not grow? Oh, you may look good externally walking in here acting like you got it all together and I don't need this word, I'm smarter than the pastor and I know and this is really not my church, I just came by here for a baby dedication and I'll be glad when he's over where I can get back to my church next Sunday. You know, you might be able to say all of that stuff, but internally, are you pure? Internally, are you seeking the righteousness of God? 
Or internally are you corrupt and cynical and judgmental and nasty when you get home? Because Jesus is saying, how could you be exposed to so much? You've got Google, you've got this Bible, that commentary, Bible bookstore. You've got everything, preachers all over the place. How could you be exposed to so much and still not change? So what does he do? He goes to another city. He actually goes to another city and he says to his own hometown, he says, other cities will rise up and condemn you. Remember I taught you about condemnation. That's judgment without no hope. Other cities will rise up and condemn you because they did so much more with so much less. You had me for 18 years. You said I'm wise. You saw my miracles. I just went by their city, touched somebody, healed them. It erupted in a revival and they did so much more with so much less in their city. You had me for 18 years and you haven't even changed. And I know it's quiet these past couple of Sundays. And I'm okay with that. Because I know what you're thinking. Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? Don't worry about that question. Ask it in a service. Always ask it in a service. Lord, is it me? That is the best sentence that you can ask up under a preacher's preaching because it's a good thing to challenge yourself. we got to challenge our thinking when we read the Word of God or hear the Word of God. We've got to challenge our faith. Is it too limited? Is it because I've been taught wrong or I've been raised a certain way and this is how Daddy told me that the church and faith ought to be? No, maybe you ought to expand your faith, read the Scriptures for yourself, don't ride on the tails of your parents and discover what the Word says to you. What have I done with what I've been given? Because God is saying to some folks, I'm shocked that you haven't done more with what you've been given. He said it, not me. He said, I'm amazed. He's amazed that we insist on being blind. He's amazed that we can sit up under an anointed service with good preaching and still go home and have our nasty temper or be on our way to church and get in a fight because internally we are corrupt and we haven't changed though we've sat under everybody under the sun. He's amazed that Christians leave this service and still walk in their depression. He's amazed that we can go to church every Sunday, be exposed to the Word, know all about Him for all of these years, yet when we need something, ah, we freak out. And we don't run to Him first. So I have a question, not for Northfield Church, but for the American church. Has the American church become so familiar with Him? Has the American church made the Holy Spirit in our services so ordinary that He comes by a church and He cannot release His glory and His anointing and His power because He's so familiar, ordinary, and common to us? It's just a question I'm asking. 
Do we truly know what God could do if we just expanded our perspective of Him? Do we truly know how He could change us and our families and this community if we just expanded our perspective about Him? But I would submit to you, we will never know how He would work if we don't get the right perspective about Him. We will never know what He could touch if we no longer hunger for Him. We will never know how He could raise up a dead soul to be a living soul on fire for Jesus if we don't value Him. We will never know how He would move in the lives of other people if we are not personally committed to Him. And that's why Jesus says, guys, you've shocked me. You've shocked me. Now, I do not say this word with absolute no respect. I say this word because of the definition of this word. So don't write me and go, Pastor, you should have never said that. So I'm already giving you a disclaimer. I understand this word is not politically correct, but according to the definition of uh, the word, it fits what I'm trying to say. Our retardation which retard means to not grow or not develop. God brings us revelation. Are you with me? God brings a man to give you revelation of the word to challenge your life. God brings us revelation, but when we respond with retardation, he's amazed. When he brings us revelation, but we never grow, he's amazed. He is amazed. Look at this group of people. Examine your life. They knew him. Oh, they knew all about him. We know your brother. We know your sister. We know your occupation. We know your mother. We know all about you. And look how common, look how familiar they had made him. They knew all about him. Sounds like the church. They knew all about him, but they had not grown. God is amazed, church, that we could go to church where people are touched, healed, set free, delivered, baptized, give their life for the Lord, but we still hang out at the bar on Friday night. God is amazed that all of us know all about him, but our faith is secret on the job. God is amazed really at how unchristian all us Christians can be. God is amazed how you prayed for that job. He gave you that job. Now you got in that job and you're complaining about the job. God is amazed how he gave you the job, gave you a great income, but you can't afford to give back to him. God is amazed that we have more faith in our doctors and our prescription than his holy hand. God is amazed that we know all about the word, but we still sink into things and we're never free. God is amazed at how we can shout praises here on Sunday, hoop and holler, clap and say hallelujah, but we'll cuss you out on Monday. We'll talk bad about you behind your back on Tuesday. Oh, we'll rip you a good one on Facebook on Thursday. God is amazed that we know that much about Him. 
but we never consider him an option, so we never open the word, and we never talk to him. We just get in here on Sundays and hope we can get a little bit of faith to where we can go back home on Monday. The Bible says he was amazed at their lack of faith because of their lack of perception. They said he could do miracles, admit that he was wise, but they couldn't even trust him with their child. God is amazed that they had not applied what they had been exposed to for 18 years. And here's the marvelous God. Now he marvels at their unbelief as the musicians come. I want you to understand something, and I want you to hear my heart as I close. And unless you're going to come up here or going to help in the kitchen, I would ask that nobody move around. I want you to really focus your attention on what I'm saying. Understand. that once people get used to you the more familiar they get with you they see you as an option it's like young love when you were young and you were first married you're like just 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 talk to me you're in the kitchen chopping up onions and you're like honey could you come in here and just talk to me while I'm chopping up the onions. I just want to be near you. Now you've been married for 50 years and you go to the kitchen to get away and you be, I'll call you when it's ready. Don't bother me. Because when you get used to something, it becomes an option. I'm going to be real with you. When you get used to church, it becomes an option. When you get too familiar with me and I become too common to you, I can become disrespected. And I can become your option. But when you keep the right heart and you're always expecting and you always value and you're always ready to receive, God can move. So here's a group of people that he became too common to, he became too familiar to, and he became an option to, and he became too ordinary to. But watch what Jesus does. So brilliant. He changes up the strategy. Since they were unwilling to receive what he had for them because he was too familiar to them, Jesus then gathered 12 people. 12 people that valued him. 12 people that had the right perspective about him. Twelve people that were totally sold out and personally committed to him. Twelve people that had faith and believed in him. And watch this. He took what was in him and he put it in them. What I'm trying to tell you, church, is the Jesus that said, I had no home. He will take himself and he'll become at home in those that truly follow him. Because he took the glory 
He took the power. He took the anointing that he couldn't give at home. And he gives it a home and those that were truly his disciples. And what I'm trying to tell you, church, is when we as a body begin to truly follow God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, and we open up our perspective of what he could do, he places his glory and his power and anointing in you. Why? Because he wants to love your one through you. Don't miss that. That's why everybody should have a one. He wants to teach your one through you. He might even use you to heal your one as you lay your hands on them. You ain't the healer. Through you, he still and always will be the healer. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are you hearing me? So church, I'm telling you, as soon I've taught you how to break, if you weren't here, go back and listen to that. I taught you that we need to break in the presence of God because when we break, He fills us because we're opening up for more capacity of Him. When we learn to break in His presence, God can so fill us and it's then and only then that you can now walk into situations. You can walk into the home of your one. You can walk into your office where you're praying for your one. Where a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl has given up hope. But Christ, the hope of glory in you, can begin to change things in that person's life. Because you've allowed him to come inside of you. Pastor, he's already inside of me. Yeah, maybe he is. But is he flowing outside of you? And there's a big difference. Do you know what would happen if we walked in this place in unity and one accord? Do you know what would happen in this place if we really just broke in the presence of God and opened up our heart and opened up our mind and said, move however you want to move. People would get healed, set free, and delivered because he found a place that he could release his glory, power, and anointing. If every one of us in this room would come out of our belief, come out of our familiarity with God, come out of our limited perspective of Christ. And listen to me, if we stop seeing this service as another common, ordinary thing that i got to do in my week, and we stepped into the power of God, expecting God to move in this place, nothing less, God, but your best in this church, we would see a mighty move of God in this place. Sure, we got a screen. We got a hot baptismal tank. We got some pretty lights. Lord knows we got one of the prettiest buildings in the panhandle. We had what we have now, what the old church never had. But take it all away because the old church had something that we don't have today. 
I'm going to be real right now, and if I hurt your feelings, so be it. In the old church, all you needed was about four or five little old ladies. But they didn't have a limited perspective. You got around them, whew, you started to get chills because of the glory, the power, and the anointing. You would shake their hands and you'd feel it all over you because the glory and the power and the anointing was flowing through them. You know what they had? A big perspective of a big God knowing that he could do anything. You had little old ladies would come down to this altar. They'd pray for people. You'd see people set free, delivered, and changed because they wouldn't let up until the devil let go. Now today I ask you, if you feel led to come down and pray for me, I don't ever see an elder, not elder as far as on the board, but an elderly person that you've been in church for 18 years, I don't ever see you come down in here. And that breaks my heart. we got to get back to how the old church operated. If you've been a saint for many, many years, you should be the first out of the seat going, the devil is a liar. I don't care if they got a hangnail. I'm going to pray it until they grow a new nail. Amen? we got to see the power of God operate again, church. So I close with this. Do you remember the book of Genesis? Noah's on this ark. Let's out a dove. Let's out another dove. Do you remember that last dove? That last dove went out the window and it never came back. Read it. That joker never came back. You know why? That dove flew all the way through the book of Genesis. It flew through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It flew past 1 Kings, 2 Kings. It flew across the entire Old Testament. It flew past Malachi. It flew over 400 years where God went silent. It flew and it saw the Jordan River and it saw Jesus being baptized. And the Bible says when Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and it rested and it nested on Jesus Christ. Why? Because the anointing, the glory, and the power is always looking for a place to rest. And if He can rest on you, then He can rest on this church. And when that happens, the glory and the anointing and the power can flow through you and flow through this church. But we got to take our personal commitment to Jesus Christ seriously, and we got to change. You hearing me? Jesus said, The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So I searched to prove that I bet he did. So if you want to, you can write it down or look. But in John chapter 19, verse 20, don't miss this. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head 
and he gave up his spirit. You know where he rested his head? He rested his head in the lock of his shoulders when he died for you because he was looking for a place to rest in you and nest with you. And you can have him today if you'll personally commit to Jesus Christ. He died to rest in you. He died to nest with you. He's looking for a place to rest, church. Can he rest in you? The Spirit of God is in this place. Any given Sunday, people people can be healed, delivered, and set free. If we would just let him in. That's why the Bible says... I stand at the door and I knock. He's looking for a place to rest. Will you let him in? Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, he's looking for a man, he's looking for a woman, he's looking for a boy, he's looking for a girl. And today, all you've got to say is, Jesus, make your home in me. Make your home in me. If you've not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants to nest and rest in you. The pastor said, the pastor said, I got to grow, I got to change. Yeah, eventually the Holy Spirit will clean you up. He don't want you to be a perfect saint before you get to him. That's why he's coming to you and going, I know you're not perfect. I know you've got faults. I know you've got questions. I know you've got problems. I know you've got pain. But if you give your life to me, and I start resting and nesting in you, I promise you, I'll make a place in you that my power, my glory, and anointing can flow out of you. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you want to today, would you simply lift up your hand and say, that's me. Anybody in this room, I want to give my life to Jesus. Just raise it up high where I can see it. Pastor, I want to give my life to God. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm asking you to join the kingdom. I'm asking you to open up your mind, open up your heart, open up your spirit to receive him. Anybody in this house, I need Jesus, Pastor. I want him to come in. Anybody in this room, raise it up high where I can see it. Amen. Stand your feet all over this place. Look at me. Look, I know I'm the preacher. And you think I just got to come to church. No, I got a choice. (laughs) But when I do come to church, do y'all know that what I preach, it changes me? Do y'all know what I preach, it challenges me? I mean, I don't get up here and say, hey, I got it all together. Y'all are so horrible. You need to change and be like me. I'm telling you, you know what? There are times that I'm everything that I said in here. But I've made a determination in my heart that I don't want to come to church and not grow. I want to at least take something that the man said and apply it to my life and change. Amen?
And you know what your pastor's sick and tired of? Is that church folks come like they're at a performance to see the jester jest and we can just laugh and clap and have a good time and go home. It's not a performance, y'all. It's not a performance. I'm here to help you. And I love you, but I'm seeing a lot of new people on the who's your one that I want to help too. And that's why I'm preaching this today. That if we truly get our personal commitment together, and as we're exposed to the word, we receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which brings us hope to change, and we begin to change, God can begin to flow in a powerful way. And He is. So I know a lot of you are making changes. But I'm a dreamer. What if we all made changes? How much more would he flow? How much more miracle signs and wonders could take place? How many services would we have to do to keep people in here because God was moving in this place? How many of you would say, you know, Pastor, what you said ministered to me today? Would you raise your hand? Okay, only people with their hand up, you need to pray this. Those of you that don't raise, don't pray it because Lord knows it'll change your life. Only if you mean it. Repeat after me. Lord, I want you to rest in my life. Lord, I want you to rest in my family. I want you to rest in my finances. I want you to rest in my marriage. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh in me and fall fresh in this church. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Simple prayer. Now do you know what you just asked? When he comes to rest in you, make the changes he wants to do in you. Amen. We're going to sing a song. Those of you that are joining us for the potluck lunch, head that way. But if this truly ministered to you, take a moment in worship, whether at the altar or at your seat. Really begin to contemplate what I said. Ask the question, Lord, is it me? Examine your heart. Examine your spirit. And say, God, have I limited you in a way that you're not moving in my life? Ask yourself, God... Is there anything that I have done that has limited my perspective that you're not moving as strongly through my life as you would like to? And then ask the overall question. God, are you really nesting and resting in me? Because if you're not, maybe I need to make it right today. Amen. Let me pray for you and we'll worship. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for the challenge. We thank you for conviction. We thank you that you give us hope to change. May we be found faithful that as we're exposed to more and more word, that you will never be amazed at our lack of faith. You will never be shocked by our limited perspective. That you'll always look at us and be amazed at how our faith is growing, how our convictions are growing, and how we're changing to where you will nest and rest in us and in this church. Because Christ in us and in this church, the hope of glory can change people's lives. Thank you for the challenge today. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Love you.